Today, we are starting a new series on relationships called Live, Learn, and Love. And uh, my message this morning is called Happily Married with a Question Mark. So we know that sometimes men can be clueless about marriage, and, but no, no, none so much as this guy that was at the Super Bowl. And he's, he's at the Super Bowl, he's at the 50-yard line, fifth row. These are absolutely amazing seats, $5,000 seats. But there is an empty seat next to him, and the people around him come up to him and say, Sir, how can there be an empty... And he said, Oh, that's a very sad story. He said, my, my, wife, my wife and I have been coming to the Super Bowl. We've had these seats every single year. I make sure it's something we share together. And she died this last year. And they're like, wow, that is tragic. But it's a little confusing. I mean, a $5,000 seat, didn't you have like a, a friend or a, or a family member that could take this seat? And he said, oh no, they're all at the funeral. Do you see why I couldn't include that in the actual message? Could we stand together as we look into God's word? Some of you need to forgive me for that joke. Let's just get that over with right now. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, 31 through 33. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we really need you to be in this service. Lord, this topic brings up so much pain and oftentimes confusion and unmet desire and disillusionment. And Lord, would you just come, hide me behind the cross, and would you come and speak something to each person that's here? God, we love you, and we give this service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So happily married with a question mark. So here's point one. Bringing the joy of your betrothal. We don't marry Jesus in this life. The church will marry Jesus the, at, the, at, the, at the wedding supper of the Lamb. That is coming. We get betrothed to Jesus down here. We, we get, our word would be engaged to Jesus. And marriage is picturing this greater relationship. But it turns out that it is in our relationship with Jesus that the secret to all happiness and joy lies. This is the secret to, to, to being a fulfilled human being. But our culture has taught us something else. From when we start very, very young, we have got the prince and the princess, and once they find each other, and once they get together, they will live happily ever after. So the secret 
that our culture has is you find the right person, you get the right spouse, and now you can live happily ever after. And so we had a lot of, a lot of angst out there and a lot of people trying to find that person that is going to make them happy. And it has led to people getting married in, instead of God's purpose, which is covenant, people are entering into something that I call a con- the marriage contract. And in a contract, you enter it because of what you're going to get from it. It's, it's about you getting something. And in this case, the marriage contract, I'm entering into it so that I can become happy. Well, covenant is very different. You don't actually come into covenant to get something. You actually come to give something or to share something. And it's very different the way that God has set it up. Contract is 50-50. It's based on distrust. And it's very easy to break because all you have to do is prove that the other person's not doing their part and you have the right to break it and stop doing your part. Now, covenant is very different. Covenant is based on trust, and instead of 50-50, it's 100-100. And it's very hard to break because if somebody's not giving, the other person's still 100%. And so it, it has this strength that is, that is based on trust. A contract, this is the one, this is the point that will reveal why we have such a mess. A contract is between two parties. Two frail, broken human beings. And when you have a marriage cord that only has two strands, and both of those strands are frail, broken human beings, how many know that is a very vulnerable marriage cord? (laughs) That can be snapped very easily. Covenant isn't between two. It's between three. What God has joined together Let no man separate. God envisioned himself in the middle of marriage, and that is the third strand. Proverbs 4.13, a cord of three strands is not easily, easily broken. Because the third strand is divine, it's very hard to break it. It turns out that the vow in a wedding, the most important vow is not the one you make to each other, it's the one you make to God. That that's the one that will keep a marriage when nothing else can. So I want to talk about living water. Jesus comes across this woman who has been married five times and she's had five divorces and she's currently living with somebody. And Jesus looks past all of that, all of the sin, all of the brokenness, all of whatever abuse has occurred, and he looks underneath it to the thirst that's been driving all of this. And he says this to this woman, he said, if, if, you, if you knew who I was and what the gift of God is, you'd ask me and I'd give you water that you would not thirst anymore. In fact, you drink this water and it will become a well of water that springs up to eternal life. This is the water of God's presence. This is what the human race was made for. This is the, the source of all joy. 
when the, Egypt, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they were dying of thirst. And they came to Moses and they said, we're, we're going to die out here. And, and God told him, he said, I want you to go and stru- take your staff and strike this rock. And so he takes his staff and he strikes this rock and a spring of water starts pouring out. And everybody, you can imagine everybody coming around and drinking and, and the life that comes back. And Paul says that that rock that was struck is a metaphor of Christ. That, that when God struck Christ on the cross, not only... Did it provide forgiveness of our sins by the shedding of his blood for our sins? Not only did it give us a place in heaven, but it released the presence of God and made the presence of God available to broken humanity that in Christ we can drink. We can drink. Jesus said, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow out rivers of living water. So this, this is the secret to our completeness. This is the secret to our happiness. It is found in Christ. It says in Colossians 2.10 that we were created by him, we were created for him, and that we become complete in him. This is where joy comes from. They did a study years ago now on the relationship between marriage and happiness. And they interviewed all these people and had them rate their happiness one to 10 um, one year before they got married. And the average person was a seven. Then they, had, they interviewed the same people on their wedding day and the average person was a nine. And then they did it a year after they were married and the average person was seven. And so here's what the study, the conclusion was. There's no relationship between marriage and happiness. If you are happy unmarried, you will be happy married. If you are unhappy unmarried, marriage isn't gonna help you. So, the source of our joy is Jesus. When you put that pressure on your spouse, when you put that pressure on the institution of marriage, that I am an unhappy person and this person needs to make me happy, it is going to lead you to disillusionment, to disappointment, and it's going to make you in your heart think you made a mistake and I should look for somebody else. Now, here's the other cool thing. You can be happy in your marriage, even if you're not happily married. What? Because our joy comes from Jesus. Actually, some of the happiest, most joyful people that I know have hard marriages. They have been forced to go to Jesus in a whole nother way and, and, and find a joy in him and, and die to themselves. And they're still married, but they're happy, happy in their marriage, even though they're not happily married. Now, there's always hope for your spouse. Your spouse could come along, your spouse could, and, and you could actually be happily married and happy in your marriage. But sometimes it doesn't quite work that way. So, I want to change your crisis today. Oftentimes, our crisis that we think we're having is a marriage crisis. Now, if you're single today, here's the marriage crisis. Where is he? Where is she? 
Why, God, why haven't you? Your crisis is I haven't found the person yet. And, and so that is your crisis. Is, is It's kind of with God, and it's kind of I'm looking for somebody, and they haven't come yet. If you're married, well, we know what the crisis is. It's that spouse you gave me. Why can't she, why can't he be more like this, do more like this, da 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 And then we would be happy. And for many, the marriage crisis is the divorce, or two divorces, and the, and the carryover pain, and the, the carryover. Sometimes when you're single, the, the crisis is you were engaged, and it got broken off. Or you had a very close girlfriend, boyfriend, and... You suffered in that relationship, betrayal, rejection, abandonment, cheating, you, and, 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 you're, and so you're dealing to, to go forward, there is just this relational damage that is in your past. And so I want to change the narrative from marriage crisis to a God crisis. So this morning, I have this devotional that I'm reading right now. It's called Oceans of Grace, and it's by a guy named Brady Boyd. And it was about forgiveness this morning. And he said, one question that people ask me is, how do I know if I've really forgiven? And he, he said, there's, there's two ways you know if you've really forgiven. Number one is no one has a debt to me. And the second one is no one has a claim on me. I'm like, okay, what's, what is it? What, 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 I, I, I get the first one. What about the second? Anyway, first one is this. No one, ha, no one is in my debt anymore. That we, we pray, um, forgive us our debts, what we owe you, God, because of our sin. Forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts of those who have hurt us. And of course, we all want God to forgive us of everything that we've done wrong, every sin that we've had against him. And of course, that's what, that's what God does. The only debt that a Christian owes God is a debt of gratitude, that he's taken away all my sins and given me his life. That, amazing. But to forgive other people's debts means they don't owe me anymore. They don't owe me an apology. They don't owe me doing something. They don't have to do anything. They are let go. They are released of their debt. And if I'm going to have God's forgiveness, that's his condition, is that we release everybody else. I'm going to forgive you your debts. Here's what I want you to do. Forgive everybody else. And so to forgive means that no one owes me. And here's the second one. No one has a claim on me. Huh. And what he talked about was the Old West. In the frontier, you would make a claim on property. So you would own this property that you had paid for. It is your property. But if you weren't there supervising it, oftentimes you would get squatters on your property. And you'd have these people living on your property that don't belong there. And, and so you would have to go and establish that they don't belong there. And really, if you want to keep them from squatting, you actually have to build a house there. You need, you need to get somebody else there. So what happens is oftentimes, in this case, the land is our heart. And we end up getting squatters on our land that 
we went through a divorce, we went through a breakup, we went through something, and now whenever that person's comes to our mind, or whenever that wound is touched, because somebody else does something similar, all of a sudden we find out there's all these squatters in my heart, that there's anger, rejection, abandonment, despair, suspicion, all of these things that we, we didn't know are, are on in our heart. They all, they're, oh my, I've got squatters. I've got squatters. And they're there because you allow them to be there. And what God wants to do is get all of the squatters, all of their claims on you, and get them off, get, get them off of there. And here's why. He's got some new residence for your heart. He's got peace. He's got joy. He's got trust. He's got love. He, he's got goodness. There's all these things that God wants to bring in. And what, what happens is, is that these squatters, the Bible calls them strongholds. They're places that the enemy gets you to believe a lie, gets you to hold on to it, gets your identity in your pain, gets your identity in what bad has happened, defining yourself by the bad things that have happened, and so that he can squat there. It's called a stronghold. And God doesn't just want to break the stronghold and say, you know, God, I break part ways with abandonment and rejection and despair and self-worthlessness and self-hatred. I break, I break. It's not enough to get them off the property. You got to get a new resident there. Jesus, heal me and bring me your peace and your joy and your acceptance and your goodness and your, your love and your value of me. I, I'm, I'm going to make new strongholds that are divine strongholds, that make a stronghold is a place that someone else lives. I want to make a place for the presence of God to live. And, and, and not just in part of my heart, but I want him to have the whole land. Uh, a lot of times, Jesus act is in the middle. We just got a lot of stuff squatting. And Jesus wants the whole property. So that's point one. Marriage. Instead of thinking about marriage as something that's going to make you happy, think of marriage as, as something that I get to bring happiness to. I get to bring up my joy in Christ and I get to bless my marriage with this happiness. And if you're single, I'll tell you what, it's time right now to drink of that river and get whole in Christ so that you can bring 100% to that marriage. This is time. Tonight's river rising, folks. How many know you can be a Christian and not drink? Think about those Israelites. What if they don't drink that water? They will die. There's no question. They will die. You need water when you're in a desert or you will die. And the same is in Christianity. We are li we're, we're living a slow death if we stop drinking of Jesus. So Jesus wants to teach us how to drink and then cause us to become addicted to his presence so that, it's, so that drinking is our joy, not just our duty. All right, that's point one. Here's point two. Husbands, love your wives. All right, this is 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, and then it ends this way, that your prayers will not be hindered. God commands husbands to live in an understanding way with their wives, and he says, if you're unwilling to do this, I'm gonna, I, you're going to have trouble drinking. I'm going to hinder our relationship because this is how important it is. Now, 
Men, I have noticed, love to tell themselves that you can't understand women. They love, there's jokes around this and you can't understand women and they like to give themselves permission to not have to understand their wife because women are women and you can't understand them. They're too complex, they're too mysterious. Well, in some ways, God agrees. That's why he commands men, you're gonna have to work at this. That, that, that you're not gonna, it's not gonna come quickly to you who your wife is. You're gonna have to work at understanding your wife. So how, what do you do with that? Your wife wants to feel like she is seen by you. She wants to be able to express emotion, express her feelings, and not immediately be shut down. But she wants to be understood. And it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing when you listen to your wife and let her express your feelings. And you don't have to be defensive when your wife is sharing her feelings because it's, it's not, like, that's not true, that's not true. That, no, it's 100% true that she feels that way. You start with validating how she is feeling about things so that she feels seen without you defending yourself, without you saying that's not based on truth, that's not based, it just, it, it's true for her, let her share how she is feeling. Then if there's some adjustment with truth, you can give your side of it and you can say how you're feeling and, and there is this, this validation of who she is by just hearing her heart, and letting her know that you see her. Pastor Tom, how did you become such an expert on this? <laughs> Great question. So not that many years ago, I was exposed to the Myers-Briggs and these 16 different personalities, and they read out of a book what my personality is like, which is an ENTJ, and I am like, this is the most accurate prophecy I've ever heard. <laughs> how this person knows me, they just gave me everything I value, how I operate, what my faults are, what my strengths are. It was unbelievable. And then they read to me, Alice. Alice is an INFP. And I'm like, oh my this is another prophecy that is about this is how do they know exactly who Alice is? And, and I am like, oh my, I am, my, my name is the field marshal and her, one of the hardest personalities and hers is the healer, one of the softest. And I realized that I'm a bulldozer and she's a butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that, uh, this is why she hasn't felt seen. This is, this is why we, we have Jesus and we've always had Jesus. We've always, but I have not understood my wife. I haven't taken time to hear her and experience that. And so I've been working on that. So husbands, love your wives. Seek to understand her. And then secondly, don't let her be alone. The reason for marriage God gave was that you would not be alone. No, no one is ever alone. God's with us all the time. But God gave marriage because he said, I want there to be somebody that's got flesh on that will be your companion, that will be your helper, that will walk next to you. And 
here's what I've learned in all of my counseling and everything else, that the loneliest people are not single people. Single people have hope that they might find somebody. It's married people whose spouses are not really vulnerable to them, are not talking to them, are not sharing with them. And oftentimes, those really, really lonely people are women because men have, are experts at hiding. Men can hide in their sports. They can hide in their job. They can hide in video games. They can hide in fishing. They can hide in fantasy football. They can hide, hide, hide. And those are all neutral things. That doesn't even go to the sinful things that men can hide in. Men, and, and, and then men, if, if that's not bad enough, they can actually be present and not be there. They can physically be there and not actually be there. Mark Unger talked about this. He said that men have something called a nothing box. The nothing box, men have this place where they can just disconnect and they are thinking about nothing. And the, the wife says, honey, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. And she thinks he's lying because she's always thinking about something. When she says nothing, she does not mean nothing. She means something. Husbands, take note. Honey, honey, what's wrong? Nothing. What that means? Something. <laughs> Women, when you ask your husband, what is he thinking about? And he says nothing. He means nothing. He has checked out. Mark Gonger thinks it's men's favorite box. I actually used to have a t-shirt that said I'm in my nothing box. Anyway, God has put it on men. You're the only one that can make sure that your wife isn't alone. And so you're going to have to die to your male pride and you're going to have to share when you're hurting why you're hurting. You're going to have to share feelings. You're going to have to, sometimes men have to mine a while just to find out what they're feeling because they, you know, in our culture, men shouldn't be feelers. And you, you, need to, you, need to, you need to share with them. You need to let them inside so that even if they disagree with you, even if they're mad at you, they don't feel alone because you're sharing vulnerably. You're sharing something that's real with them and that makes them feel connected. Women do not want to be alone. So here's the story. I've told this before, but I haven't told it recently. So some of you haven't heard it. Those that have heard it, it's always funny to hear this story again. So this is probably 12 years ago. We were still in Cottage Grove and it's Saturday, and I have got, we've got a lot of stuff we have to do. We've got things that we need from the hardware store, things that need to be fixed, and we need grocery shopping. We need every grocery in the book, and, and so I've got it all divided up. You go grocery shopping. I will go to the hardware store. We will meet back here, da-da-da-da-da. That's my personality. Let's do this. She's like, no, I want you to come shopping with me. I'm like, honey, it's going to take a lot longer if we go. She said, yeah, but I want you, I want to be together. I, this is about us. I want to be together today. And I'm like, okay, all right. So we get to Piggly Wiggly and I'm like, listen, I'm here because you wanted me to be here, but at least we're going to have two grocery carts. <laughs> and so she's like, fine, fine. And so we're going down that first aisle. And, uh, and I'm right next to her, and she's, she, 
here's the, here's, we've got two different methods of shopping. My, we have two different goals. My, my wife is having an experience and she likes to get deals and she likes to compare things and, and look at things. I'm just, my, I've got one goal, get out of the store. You get in, you get what you need and you get out. And so, so I, but I want to work on the relationship. So I'm staying right with her and I, we get through that first aisle and it took us, uh, it seemed like 20 minutes to get through just the first aisle. And I'm like, sweetheart, and it is my sweetest voice. <laughs> sweetheart, I'll tell you what. I will take this part of the list and it's a lot of stuff. And you get these three items. <laughs> and we will meet together at the checkout. Now, does that seem clear? And she's like, okay. And so I am, <laughs> I am boom, 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 boom. And I get to the checkout before her. <laughs> but I, but I, can't be at the, I can't be in a line yet because she's not there. And so I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting patiently. <laughs> wondering where she could possibly be. And then it happens. One of the lines becomes clear. Now, when there's no one in that line, we all know that's an opportunity. <laughs> that you can be in that line and you can, you can start checking out. And I've got a ton of stuff. So there's... I could start checking out and she's got to be coming soon. And, and so I just like, it's a risk, but I go ahead and I get in line. And so she starts checking out and I'm looking for Alice. I'm looking for Alice. And we get about halfway through and I'm like, I'm going to have to go find her. And so I, I'm not proud of this, but I go, I'm on a dead run in Piggly Wiggly, <laughs> probably knocking over little children. And I get to the final aisle and I look down there and Alice is in front of the frozen foods with a bag of corn in her hand. Kind of, I don't know what she's doing. But I, I run, I run and I grab her cart and I said, honey, as soon as you choose it, you just bring it. We're already in checkout. And I boogie back running with the cart now. And um, she's all done with our stuff, but there's no one in line. So I just pull right in. I'm like, this is masterful. This is, this is so efficient. I love this. So, so the, she's now checking out the stuff that was in Alice's cart and Alice makes an appearance. She's got this frozen corn in her hand and she throws it on the belt and walks out of the store. This isn't good. This is not, this is not going to be good. So everything gets loaded up, and I go out to the van, and I, I, un, I take the bat, put it all in there, and she's just sitting in the van, just sitting there. So I get into the van, and I start it up, and I'm like this. What? <laughs> Here's what comes out of her. It's not about the groceries. It's about the relationship. Here's what I found, man. It's not about the groceries. It's about the relationship. Your wife wants to be together with you through life. She doesn't just want to get stuff done. Don't let your wife 
be alone. Now, I know, man, I am a man. What's in it for me? Let me tell you what's in it for you. (laughs) For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That joined there is not sex. That, That joined is intimacy. It's the intimacy that comes when you make a commitment. You leave everything else, every other relationship, and you make a commitment. And in the safety of that place, you can experience emotional intimacy with another person. That is not sex. It's intimacy. And then it says, and the two will become one flesh. That is sex. So sex is not intimacy. Sex is the celebration of intimacy. Sex is very powerful. God, that's why we have so much problems with it. God put it in marriage because he knew marriage was going to be difficult. So he put this little engine to renew marriage called sex and he put it in there to celebrate intimacy. So men, you want to have more sex with your wife? Give her something to celebrate, boys. You get more intimacy, you're going to have more sex. You're going to be more celebrations. But you can't bypass intimacy. We, in our culture, we call sex intimacy. And sex actually destroys intimacy before marriage. It'll actually take whatever intimacy you're experiencing, and it will slowly destroy it. Oftentimes, it's not that slowly, which is why God made it just for marriage. All right. Let's move on. (laughs) Wives, respect your husbands. Turns out that men rise to how they're treated. If you parent your husband and treat him like he's one of the kids and you try to improve him, because that's what we do with our kids. We're we're responsible for them, and so we're we're helping them become better kids. If you do that with your husband and try to parent your husband, you're going to make him feel disrespected, and he's going to go very dark on you, and you're not going to know why. Men need and, and rise when they feel like they are respected. The Bible says that the example of respect is Sarah respecting Abraham. And she says that, this is the, remember I did 1 Peter 3, 7 for the men. Here's 1 Peter 3, 6. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So in Sarah's situation, Abraham, the man of God, had gone very dark. He, had, he, he told her to say you're my sister because I'm afraid that if Pharaoh, you're so beautiful. If Pharaoh sees you, he's going to kill me so he can get you. And he does it twice. He does it once with Pharaoh, once with Abimelech. And please, for my sake, beautiful, uh, say, you're my, say, say you're my sister. What a coward. What a coward. I mean, this is just, this is Abraham, her man, walking in darkness. And she chooses to not give in to the fear. And she chooses to trust God. He's doing something stupid. He's doing something dark. I'm going to trust God. And what God does for her is insane. 
God will not let Pharaoh or Abimelech touch her, gives them dreams, puts plagues on their homes, and they find out that she's his husband, and they're like, how could you possibly do this? And, and they give her like a thousand pieces of silver. These are for Sarah. These are not for you. These are for Sarah because of, of, of to protect her honor. And God, God comes through for her. And it's interesting because the context of 1 Peter 3, 6 is 1 through 5. It's all about a, a man that's walking in darkness, whether he's a non-Christian or a, a Christian that's just walking in a wrong way. And it says, wives, that you can win your husbands without a word because of the, the beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit. God finds and men find a gentle, quiet spirit beautiful. It is not a quiet, gentle personality. God loves your personality, ladies, whatever it's like. God loves expressive. God loves that you talk. God loves to hear you talk. It's a, it's a gentle, quiet spirit. It is a spirit that is at peace, trusting God. I am trusting God. I am not giving in to fear. I'm not expressing all of my angst and my fear and trying to get my husband to do something and to change to be better. And it's funny, the elder just wrote a whole book on this called Love and Respect. And it, it's, it, it, they talked in this book about the crazy cycle. The crazy cycle is when women feel unloved, they automatically respond with disrespect. And when men feel disrespective, they automatically respond with, by not loving their wife. And that Oftentimes, you know, who knows who starts it? Is it her not respecting him or him not loving her? But the cycle gets going and marriages go south very, very quickly into darkness because I, uh, the men are feeling disrespected, the woman's feeling unloved, and they're both sure that it's all about the other person. And what their point was is you can, either one of you has the power to break the cycle. That women, you can actually... Start respecting your husband before he's, he's, while he's still in darkness. That's what 1 Peter 3 is. And that the automatic response when you start respecting him is he's going to start loving you. <laughs> he's just, that's going to be his response. Is he going to start treating you with value and, and love because it feels so good to be respected and and, and men can break the cycle too. Start loving your wife. Start washing her feet. Start listening to her. Start making a spot for her. And all of a sudden, the automatic response will be respect. And so 99% of America is in the crazy cycle and it's going down. And people are becoming more isolated and more self-protected and, and more sure that the answer is something other than doing it God's way. The Bible says that a wise woman, this is Proverbs 14.1, builds her own home and a foolish woman with her own hands tears it down. I, I've never met a woman that wants to tear her own home down. But you can do it. Let me explain something about men. Men want to win. And if every time you are at home and your husband gets home, you are expressing to him everything that's wrong with the home, everything that's wrong with him, everything that's wrong with the kids, and you're just, it's just real for you. You're just, this is just what's happening. Um, I just want you to know what he feels. Here's what he feels. I'm, I'm failing. I'm failing. I'm failing as a husband. I'm failing as a dad. And if men feel like they're failing, what they will do 
is find something they can win at. (laughs) So you've made it very clear to me. I can't win at home. So I'm going to golf. I'm going to hunt. I'm going to, at least that buck doesn't talk back. I'm going to get in a fantasy football league. I'm going to, I'm going to find something I can win it because I want to have some feeling that I'm a winner. And women, women do this and they don't know they're doing it. They don't know they're doing it. They're just speaking the truth. But, but it's all empowering fear and it's having a horrible effect on your husband. And so you just need to be really careful. Make your home a place that your husband wants to be. You are his helper. Let him know, honey, we're going to win. You're going to win. I'm going to help you win. You are not here to compete, but to complete your husband. So the late Mike Royko columnist for the Chicago Tribune wrote about Slats Grobnik, a man who sold Christmas trees. Slats remembered one couple on the hunt for a Christmas tree. The guy was skinny with a big Adam's apple and small chin. And she was kind of pretty. But both wore clothes from the bottom of the bin at the Salvation Army. After finding only trees that were too expensive, they found a scotch pine that was okay on one side, but pretty bare on the other. Then they picked up another tree that was not much better, full on one side, scraggly on the other. She whispered something, and he asked if $3 would be okay. Slats figured both trees would not be sold, so he agreed. A few days later, Slats was walking down the street and saw a beautiful tree in the couple's apartment. It was thick and well-rounded. He knocked on their door, and they told him how they worked the two trees close together where the branches were thin. Then they tied the trunks together. The branches overlapped and formed a tree so thick that you couldn't see the wire. Slats described it as a tiny forest of its own. So that's the secret, Slats asserts. You take two flawed trees, and if you put them together just right, you can come up with something really beautiful. God wants us to accept that we're broken and that our spouse is broken. He wants us to take the pressure off of them performing and being better because this is how my mom was. Well, as, as one black preacher said, your wife ain't your mama. To allow brokenness and to say, we're going to find our joy in Jesus and we're going to not expose each other, we're going to complete each other. And that wire that holds us together that others can't see is Jesus. But what I thought of was this Christmas tree we got a couple of years ago. And I, I was against it. It was, it was a huge tree, but it was kind of misshapen. And I'm like, this is, this is going to be an eyesore in our house. But I got outvoted. And so we bring this thing home. And sure enough, we put it up. And there it is in all its monstrosity. And Alice does the lights in such a way that the lights are perfect. (laughs) The tree is misshapen, but the lights are perfect. And when you turned the lights on, I thought it was one of the best trees we'd ever had. So this is God's plan for our marriage, is that he's taken two broken people and he's putting them together 
But he himself is the center. He is the one that lights it up. And so our marriages can be beautiful even when they're not perfect. We don't have to project like we've got it all together. No, you just be who you are. It's okay. We all know you're broken. But don't forget to turn the lights on. 